welcome in to episode 30 of The Bluest Tape. I am Harvey Couch alongside Jeff Kolath. And we are pleased to be joined once again by Ted Rockwell. Hello, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us as we take our uh, weekly trip through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. And we appreciate Ted joining us to give us a, a, a different perspective, maybe a slightly more positive perspective. Jeff, Jeff thought maybe we need to change the title of the podcast because it's a little more upbeat with Ted on here. We're not that terribly negative all the time. I mean, I even got you to play Jimmy Herring last week, so, two weeks ago. So that was, that, that's a, we're, we're making progress. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So last week we, we played some stuff from 1988 and 1990 and 1992 as we sort of tracked the progression of this band and, um, Ted teased us a little bit to, to I guess this is this next thing that we're going to do is is your very first show, right? Indeed. Um, so this next passage is from July twenty second, nineteen ninety two, at the Park West in Chicago, Illinois. Um, the song is "Stop Go" and "Stop Go." Th- this this very song at this very moment was when I ended up having my legs kind of taken out from underneath me by widespread panic. Um, I remember very distinctly um, Dave going into his bass solo and just going, holy mackerel, like this is for real, right? This is a really good band, and I know that I'm going to go see them again. Um, and so, yeah, this is this is really the uh, origin of my obsession right here. You know what's amazing is, so I, my first show was, was a... a July 18th, 1993, a Horde Tour show in New Orleans. And then I didn't see him again until I got to college. And so it was 95. The Red Mile was my second show, 917, 95. And literally, the stop go in the middle of the first set of that show was that moment for me. I mean, absolutely. It was like, it was a, you know, where am I? And am I upright? And what is happening? You know, and uh, that, yeah, makes you want to. That was the moment that made me want to follow a band around the country. So it was cool that we shared that. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story about Stop Go. Um, I had the good fortune of uh, being able to see them again on my birthday um, several years later uh, in Winter Park, Colorado. And the night before that show, um, it just so happened that JB got invited over to our condo by some mutual friends, and we had coffee, and we, or uh, coffee, we had wine, and, uh, we were goofing off, just hanging out, being silly. And um, I was doing this thing. I was, I was doing a podcast at the time. And I was asking, I was walking around with a portable um, recorder asking people questions. Like uh, like a really quick one minute, what's your favorite color? Who's your favorite band? What's your favorite song? You know, that kind of thing, right? And I had like two pages of these questions. And no one, I'd never asked anyone all the questions. Well, JB saw that I was doing this because I was I did it at the party with a few people, and he says, "I'll I'll do that," and so he proceeded to. I didn't get to, to ask him the questions. He grabbed the sheet, took the microphone, and started just asking himself the questions, and and then answering. And it was hilarious. He was acting like he was George Carlin or something. And he was coming up with clever answers, things he wouldn't expect. And so after that experience was done, he actually turned the the tables and started asking me questions and asked me what my favorite song was. And, um, I said, stop, go. And he, he said, Oh, 
I can't make any promises. Maybe, you know, maybe we can get that on the set list tomorrow. <laughs> well, next day is my birthday. And guess what's not on the set list? <laughs> <laughs> Stop, go. Do you, uh, do you have that tape? Is that, is that something that, that still exists? It, it, it most definitely does exist. And yeah. it is a thing. Um, I've been, uh, I have this vision of doing, you know, on that, that tape on tape, um, series that I think it's, um, PBS does where they take old audio recordings and illustrate them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had this vision to try to do something like that with it for several years, but I've, I've never really been able to turn the corner on that. Um, it's, it's a laugh riot. I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> it really is funny. Um, and remarkably enough, it's from within a week of George leaving the band. Hmm. And so it is, it's taken at a particular moment in time um, where we were able to kind of offer JB, I think, a little bit of shelter from stuff that was going on, I think, Mm. um, where he was just among friends and we were just goofing off and having some wine. All right. So um, back to the music. We are, uh, we're headed to Chicago and this is at the Park West. July 22nd, 1992, we are um, about five songs in, and, uh, and, and here's the moment where, where uh, Ted Rockwell gets, uh, gets knocked, knocked for a loop by Dave Schools. Thank you. 
Stop Go from July 22nd, 1992 at the Park West in Chicago, Illinois. Ted Rockwell's first show and his aha moment with widespread panic. Oh, well said. Um, this particular uh, recording was recorded by a friend of mine named Ted Kaplan. Um, we were living in the same apartment complex at the time. He's sort of a, he's a really um, established taper, Grateful Dead taper. Um, and this particular audience recording was one of my favorites. I wore out my you know first generation <laughs> version of it on two different occasions and eventually lost it completely. Um, and then out of the woodwork, I hadn't seen or heard from the guy in like 15 years. He emerges online and here is the show. And mm. so um, I, I was very thankful to him to uh, for him to putting it out there digitally because it, it's it's really it's really something they the entire show is a lot of fun. They play Junko Partner at this show. Um, the diner is is you know one for the ages. It's it's a true you know mid July nineteen eighty two widespread panic throwdown. So and uh, and a very special opener the the Freddie Jones band, Chicago's yeah. own. Those guys still owe us a hundred bucks. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. So hey, Freddie Jones band fans, or hey, you know. And, any of the guys who might have been in the band that are just happened to happen upon this podcast, you still owe us <laughs> for doing tie dyes for you all for your your speaker covers when you were playing the private Idaho on Halstead Street in Chicago. Um, so I'm waiting. It's it's been I don't know 25 years. I'm sure the interest on 100 bucks would be worth something. Um, well, it's not the first time the Freddie Jones Band has been uh, has been brought up. That that was the, the title of episode three was uh, "Thank the Freddie Jones Band," which is a great intro from Gary uh, in the uh, I think it was the Wilmington nine the October nine ninety four uh, where he where he thanked yeah because fall ninety four was in, was when they did that tour with Freddie Jones and um, yeah I mean all kidding aside Freddie Jones and Widespread had a pretty tight relationship there for a while they toured together quite a bit and. In fact, JoJo was a de facto member of the band, of Freddie Jones' band, for a little while, including a show that was performed right here in Boulder at the University of Colorado. Um, I want to say it was 95, maybe? Um, their, their normal keyboard player had gotten ill or something like that. I'm trying to remember. Maybe was, his wife had a baby? Something like that had to hop off the road. And JoJo played, I want to say, three shows mm. um, as Freddie yeah. Jones' band's keyboard player. All right, so um, so the other thing that sticks out to me, I, I like 92, and that was one of those, you know, when I first sort of started listening to the band, that was, you know, a lot of the tapes that I had were like 92 tapes because that was, you know, there's good soundboards and those got circulated a lot. But um, Hauser's tone in 92 with, uh, I guess it's the wah-wah he's playing a lot is just that to me is like the signature sound for for 92 panic uh, we heard it a little bit in that auburn show last week and then again some tonight in uh in chicago yeah i think that they might have had an upgrade in soundman too if i recall correctly i'm not i'm not entirely sure i know i believe that um at this time there uh they had a new sound guy who had done sound for Whalen Jennings and I think continued doing sound for Whalen Jennings after this, mm-hmm. West Delk. And uh, I think that had some, some to do with it too. Um, 
Ted, one of the things, you know, we've talked a lot about the evolution of the band, and I think we've got a pretty good, from the selections that you've made from last episode to this one, it's really clear to see that, uh, or hear that, I should say. I want to talk about, like, the fan base, and obviously the three of us are part of that, and your relationship with the band is certainly much closer than, than, than what Harvey and I have. But can you talk about how the fan base has changed over the years um, in terms of engagement, knowledge, you know, interest, what they like, what they don't like, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen or heard um, and interact, following them around yourself, but also interacting with, you know, people in your orbit? Well, first of all, there, there didn't used to be a line for the women's bathroom. Um, <laughs> That was a real thing. <laughs> um, so, so they were like government mule at one point then? There were so many more guys at Widespread <laughs> Panic. Um, it was kind of crazy. Um, that's, so that's one thing. I think also early on, especially, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty biased in, in my experience because I was basically seeing stuff in and around the Chicagoland area and then the, the Midwest for, you know, from 92 through you know, 95 ish and 96 is the first time I really got out of the Midwest. Um, oh, I saw him, I saw him Halloween and new year's 95 and then those were down in the South. But in any case, um, I, I think up in the North, you know, a lot of people didn't really, they were there for a party. They didn't, they weren't really rabid fans. And I remember in 95, we saw him in Michigan and there was this group of people we saw him like three consecutive dates in, in Michigan in spring of 95. And there was this group of people all dressed in these Olympic outfits, like these crazy, like, um, uh, polyester blue, red, white, and blue outfits with medals around their necks and like sweatbands and shit. And I'm like, what the, f- what is with, <laughs> and they were people who'd come up from like Athens, you know, they, they were just way into it and they were going to go out on tour with panic and here they were. And that really, for me, was like, wow, this is turning a corner. It was right around the time when um, uh, Hauser and Lisa and I had a conversation, and he was asking us to remember songs that they used to play because <laughs> they didn't have a record of what they were playing, and they were trying to work out music, right? Like, do you remember songs we used to do that maybe you'd like to hear again? And it, that was a part of the, at least for me, kind of a inspiration to say, well, maybe, maybe this is a thing. Maybe, you know, someone should be doing this and, and keeping track of those things. It, it definitely, um, it definitely seemed like spring in 95 is when that you started to see more variations in the set list and more sort of injecting of uh, covers and older, you know what I mean? You saw more, mm-hmm. more of those uh, rarities popping up. From what I understand, Hauser really was the, was driving some of that. I, I think the whole uh-huh. band was involved with it. But p- after they turned that corner, Hauser was really the one writing a lot of the set lists. Hmm. Not every single show, but I think the majority of the shows started with him sort of coming up with where things would go. Um, and I, I think that that was a very conscious effort to try to make sure that there was some variety being pumped in. Uh, you look at, at some, like 92 is actually... Some of the complaints people might have about 90, 92 is that they're playing a lot of the same songs mm-hmm. over and over again. Sometimes, you know, Chili Waters played every night. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a thing. They were, I think, trying to make sure that they weren't going to get stale. You know, I think they were seeing what was happening with Blues Traveler at the time, too, where, 
you know, how many times can they play their radio hit? Um, right. You know, twice in a show. Um, well, and they, anything, <laughs> well, and they, I think, you know, like 94 seemed to be like, that was the year that they, you know, the sort of the last, the last like big push to try to make them a radio. I mean, it seemed like that was their big media push was in 94 with, with ain't life grand. And that they, they were playing those songs every night. And then, Obviously, I think like you're saying that there was a conscious effort after that to maybe get away from that, at least on the live on the live side, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Jeff, you, you asked about, you know, differences in the fan base then and now. And I, I think the other the other big one is that um, it's e- it's a little easier right now to be a panic fan because there's so so many ways to educate oneself about the music be able to hear it, know the lyrics, all of that. Um, there was a little bit more of a, a harder edge, I think, to some of the folks back in, in the day. Um, as far as they really, you know, if they're sh- seeing multiple shows, they really mean to be there. Like, <laughs> that's not just something you casually get into. Whereas now, you know, I, I think it's a little easier for people to, you know, kind of hook up with a bunch of other folks, educate themselves on what the music is, and show up for a three or four show run and and kind of get what what's there's a lot of a lot of stuff that they know what to expect right there isn't quite as much of an adventure in that um i don't i I probably sound like a grumpy old man here or something but (laughs) get off my yard um yeah yeah, no i mean that's i think that's you know and they get to listen to the shows live a soundboard stream every night Mm -hmm. i mean come on like that's not fair yeah i mean (laughs) (laughs) i had i had to wait how many flipping years to finally find a tape of five, six ninety three and it's crap. Mm. And it's the only one that exists, you know, um, that doesn't happen now. And I mean, whatever, I mean, I guess by the same token, you know, they're, they're just a way bigger deal. And I think that that, that also affects how people approach it. Again, the, the whole, the, the joke about the women's bathroom line is true. Um, you know, you get, you get a lot more people interested and it becomes a different thing. Um, it's a little bit more for me now. It's, it's more about the social, um, the music's still important. Whereas back, you know, in the late nineties and early two thousands, it was all about the music for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the social was important, but boy, that was not even top three or four reasons. The social was Number before one. and after the show. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. Do not talk to me. Thank you very much. Going to work. So you know, and this is you know something else about you brought it up about what going to see the band today. Um, You know, Hauser's been gone. You know, over fifteen, little over fifteen years now, and obviously we've had two two lead guitarists and George and Jimmy. And you know, what's your Harvey and I have talked about this a lot, but we've never actually talked. I've never actually talked to anybody this before um but somebody that's only seen jimmy shows and you know you know what's the i'm always interested to know what drew them to the band was it jimmy was it hauser um you know what's sort of your take on that that somebody that's come along you know in the last handful of years when jimmy's been in the band and sort of what that experience was like compared to what your experience was when you heard staff go for the first time at the park west yeah, I'm, I'm, this is this is a conflicting um, question, you know. Um, you know, 
I feel, I feel lucky for those people that they're able to experience this music. Um, I once told someone a joke that, you know, if, if widespread panic decided to become a, an all instrumental experimental jazz band, I'd still go see them. Um, <laughs> and I mean that, um, yeah, like I was I, before, before this podcast, we were talking a little bit and I mentioned something that Neil Young had said about, um, musical artists leaving human wreckage on the side of the road. Um, and panic's no exception to that. And, um, that's a, that's, that, that's sometimes, sometimes hard to reckon with the music happening on stage. And, um, I'm just glad that the music is still there that, you know, I'm, I'm still able to hear a live version of pilgrims. I'm not hearing too many, too many bands covering widespread panic, you know, the way that, um, say fish has, there, there are certainly bands out there doing it, but not the way that some of the other bands have, you know, all Almond Brothers, Grateful Dead, Fish. You throw some of these guys out there and there's, you know, plenty of bands covering that music. Panic's got maybe a little bit of work to do there and uh but at the same time they're still performing. So, um you know, I'm I'm glad that it's there. I wish they would slow Pilgrims down a little bit. Um I, there's definitely moments in songs like Sea Brown where I miss, you know, the more gentle um introspective kind of vibe that we would get from, from Hauser. But let's be honest, Hauser was in the band for 15 years and he's been gone for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, thank God we've had the last 15 years. Yeah. And, and all of the recorded, you know, history from before then. I mean, that that's the thing that, that I'm always so thankful for um, that I can still like pull out and listen to a show that I never listened to or, we we did you know our uh around the anniversary of his death we did sort of some some hauser retrospective stuff and i found this this song that was on the demo the the humpy galumpy song like i'd never heard that before and it was like a hauser original that i was like what a what a little gift that that was to just be able to find this song that i never knew existed yeah cardboard box uh <laughs> that one i i was convinced along you know along the lines of clever and terrorist that it it just wasn't a real song Uh in fact it's a real song it's really out there um you know i i think that um you know those those folks who are coming to to hear widespread panic now are are definitely hearing a different band um but you know i'm i'm hopeful that, that they're able to then be exposed to everything as you're saying harvey um that, that maybe came before that it's a part of the leg- legacy. Um, there, there are examples out there, you know, with the grateful dead, right. And mm-hmm. uh, you had a lot of people who were pig pen. Like it was all about pig. And then they dropped off when pig died. Um, that's not to say that someone who sees the grateful dead for the first time in 1993 can't appreciate pig pen or, or goes to see the dead or what is it called? Dead and company with mm-hmm. John Mayer you know, there are people doing that. In fact, I work with a, I work with a girl who never had really even listened to the Grateful Dead at all and is a John Mayer fan and now has been exposed to Grateful Dead music and thinks Pigpen is a good vocalist. I mean, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> but that's right? all, that is awesome though. Isn't you that know, great? That's, great. Uh, that's funny. So, you know, I, 
I think, you know, I really, I really enjoy, I enjoy what Jimmy brings to the band, but I will tell you that there is a joke in our house, too many notes. I, I really feel like there is, there's is a, a place of uh, slowing the band down that, that would be nice. Um, a lot of times things are moving a little too quick for my, my tastes, but I still go see them and I still support it and I still, uh, can can they play some of that 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 instrumental improv jazz I was talking about? Because I go see that. They're probably too. pretty good at it too. Harvey, isn't it great to have Ted on here and validate so many of the things that we've been saying for the last <laughs> God is, knows how long? It is, it is it's good. It's pretty great. Um, um, why don't we get on to the the next uh, piece that you selected, Ted? Yeah, and and I just want to say I, I feel like this is you're this is another sort of watershed moment in the band's history where you're where we're picking this up so um mm-hmm. you know where they sort of had reached another level and we've already touched on this we did a little bit from early in this tour we did some of the australian stuff uh, earlier in the podcast but um i i hadn't really listened to much from this show and it is really good so why don't you uh give us a little bit of a intro so this is uh this is from april 3rd 1998 it's at the borderline in London, England. I understand the borderline to be a fairly small club. It's not even really uh, a concert venue. I think it's, it's really more of a bar kind of club. Um, and this marks the end of their Australian and, um, European tour. It was the first, uh, international tour. You know, if you discount any times they went to Canada and I would, mm-hmm. um, and this section is from, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, I think it's a one set show. Am I right about that? Um, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And this is kind of in the meat of that one set show. If I, someone opened that has a very interesting name, although I don't have it pulled up, but, um, in any case, you really get a sense from the way that they're playing, that this is a small crowd and they're doing that. They're playing to this crowd again, like, like I would had been saying before, this crowd of like 30 people, it's probably more like maybe 150, um, like their, uh, crowd of 150,000. Um, the, the selection we've got here is, is, um, a classic in my opinion, um, Michael Hauser kind of duo of doing a, a, a kind of a strange tempoed song into a straight ahead anthem. Um, but then they kind of turn a corner during the jam and it becomes a whole gigantic thing. Um, it's, it's a good time. So enjoy yourselves here. This is one of my fa- absolute favorite passages of music from, from all of Widespread Panic. April 3rd, 1998, Borderline, London, England.
April 3rd, 1998, at the borderline in London, England, uh, as Panic wraps up their first uh, international tour. Um, and you heard Diner and then a, a nice jam, which leads into drums in this one set show. And um, we were, you were looking at the venue, which is, appears to be tiny and probably, you know, only a little over 100 people and playing like they're 100,000 and it was just two weeks later that they were in fact playing for 100,000 people at the uh, at the Life Fuse Getaway release party in Athens on April 18th. Talk about a, uh, a dichotomy of uh, of audiences to play for. Yeah, I mean, I remember when, when all that went down, we, you know, we we were thinking about trying to get down there. There was, there was really no way to, uh, we just moved to Colorado and, uh, we didn't have any, we had very, very little money. And, um, not only did we know about this free show, but we had been uh, told about the Australian, New Zealand portion of this as, as well as the Europe portion and, and told that we could just, you know, just, all we have to do is be there and, and we'd be able to get into the shows and stuff. But we, we had to, we had to bail. Uh, there was just no way to afford it. And it's one of the few regrets I have in my, my panic career. Um, uh, but having, having said that, um, we're, lu- we're lucky to have the, that music. And, and I think that playing to those, those smaller crowds really helped them uh, feel like they could play to that really big Athens crowd. I, I don't know. Now we sort of just take it for granted that that happened, but those who were around at that time can tell you, it was a little hectic. Mm-hmm. They weren't sure whether or not they could pull off that show in Athens. And there were several times when it felt like it was going to just fall apart at the seams. Um, the fact that it actually came off is, is really a testament to their ability to work with um, the city of Athens and the mayor of Athens at the time really supporting this. So, yeah. um, that was a cool moment for sure, you know, in their uh, development and, um, and I think you're right that going going to Europe and kind of getting a reset, sort of similar maybe to the Sinski a couple of years earlier, playing to small band, small you know audiences and kind of re reacquainting themselves with each other and and the music that was a good uh, that was a good time for them. I'm thinking. All right, so that is going to be that's going to conclude our panic music for tonight. But um, Ted's got a few more tricks up his sleeve for us, <laughs> and um, and this is uh, and this next little bit we're gonna play um, from uh, some segments from a JB and Friends event in 2007. And um, Ted, why don't you want to give us a little bit of uh, education on this? Sure, absolutely. So this is you know the period of time when uh, Jimmy Herring was just starting up with the band, January 2007. Um, and at the same time, Sam Holt was really moving forward in earnest with his band out formation and, um, JB, you know, did this Hannah and friends thing every year. I'd, I'd love to see that thing come back, um, in, in January as a fundraiser. And, um, this is from January 20th, 2007 at the house of blues, um, aquarium rescue unit played this year, which, uh, you know, that's. Colonel Bruce Hampton, O'Teal Burbridge, uh, Jimmy Herring, and uh, Jeff Sipe. Um, what a fantastic um, group of musicians. And they invite Sam on stage to play uh, Time is Free with them, like a classic, right? Um, one, one of the all-time um, you know, classic songs that um, the Colonel covered. 
Um, and then, and then after that, um, we'll have a selection from Outformation where Jimmy returns the favor and joins Outformation on stage for uh, their original instrumental song. Titles of the movie will not appear on the bill. Um, the reason I chose both of these is that it, it shows kind of a diversity of where Panic's music and sound can go. Um, Sam, obviously, a lot of people feel like he embodies. Um, the tradition of Hauser sound and kind of carries that forward. And that's really evident in where time is free um, goes. Um, and then you have Jimmy Herring, who sort of represents the new era of widespread panic playing with Sam in his band um, and transforming that song into a, a thing. Um, I, I particularly would, would have people pay attention to uh, the jam um, in, in titles of the movie will not appear on the bill from about the six to eight minute mark of that song. Uh, it is incredible. Grady Upchurch on bass is just absolutely destroying it. Uh, C.R. Groover on keys is just right there laying it down and Jimmy is hanging with it. It's, it's really some stuff. It's one of my favorite passages of uh, peripheral panic uh, kind of music that's out there. So uh, enjoy these two selections from January 20th, 2007, Aquarius Rescue Unit, followed by Outformation. We'd like to bring out Sam Holt.
Thank you. 
January 20th, 2007. Those were um, two different passages. One, uh, the first one was uh, Colonel Bruce in the ARU um, playing Time is Free with Sam Holt on guitar and then uh, followed it up with Sam's band, Out Formation, with uh, titles of the movie will not appear on the bill with Jimmy Herring, who was at that moment about... uh, three months into his career as lead guitarist of widespread panic um you know right after sam holt had had filled that role for about a, a month or a little less than in august of 2006 so um definitely a, a cool um passing of well, not passing the baton but you know definitely a a inflection point for the band and uh and all the people around it at this time yeah, it's it's interesting to think of how you know that that's that's ten years ago now. First of all, it blows my mind. Um, but beyond that, it, it it you think of how where people have gone since then. You know, Jimmy's gone off and, and done some of his own kind of side project stuff. I don't know if anyone saw the Invisible Whip Whip when they came through. Um, it's you know a very it's an interesting band. Uh, it's very in the style of ARU and 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 the colonel um and then you know sam has has gone on to do other things beyond outformation including the interstellar boys um which i highly recommend everyone everyone going to see um they are they're going to be playing more shows as as we turn the corner here in 2017 and uh, i would get out there and support that band uh, todd's playing drums and danny hutchins is in that band and uh you know jerry joseph it's it's a real thing and, and well worth seeing um but you know, Out Formation themselves, uh, great band, uh, and I miss them. I, I, I really enjoyed seeing them. We were really fortunate here in Colorado to have Out, for, Out Formation play quite a bit out here. Um, you know, that was Sam Holt on guitar and vocals, and Lee Schwartz on drums and vocals, and Grady Upchurch on bass and vocals, and then the great C.R. Groover on uh, keys and vocals. I think C.R. is currently performing with a band uh, named the New Orleans Suspects. Um, so, you know, get out there and check them out. Um, but yeah, I, I like dipping into the peripheral bands, the side projects, um, to see where there's interesting, um, intersections. Um, I'm not, I'm not married to, you know, just widespread all the time. Um, there's, there's a lot of other really fun stuff out there. And, and I think that, you know, each member of the band and even those who've, you know, maybe just been in the band a short period of time or, or have filled in for original members, you know, that they have some interesting stuff that you, you know, we should pay attention to and, and listen to from time to time. That that's definitely something that we, uh, you know, I think we've touched on some, both the, the influences, you know, of the band and then the folks that have sort of spun out of the band uh, that might consider panic as influences of them. I think uh, it is, I think you're right. It's important to, support those folks as they, you know, go on their own way. And, um, I agree. I love out formation. I mean, those, those, uh, both of the, their, I think they did like two, two LPs and maybe one EP, but both the LPs are on Spotify and Apple music. If you guys don't, um, haven't heard them, I highly recommend checking out, um, those albums, Tennessee before daylight and travelers rest. I think those is what they were. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. that was good stuff. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear, I kind of got the sense that Interstellar Boys was going to just be sort of a, a one-time deal. So uh, I'm glad to hear that maybe we might uh, see a little bit more of those guys uh, together. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was very fortunate to be able to see them here in Denver and then in Boulder. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's, you know, definitely at the time that those were a couple of the first shows they played. And so they were figuring things out. Uh, and that was evident for sure. A little rough around the edges and spots, but I'll tell you, you know, they really were having fun. And I'll tell you, if you are at all a supporter of widespread panic, you're a supporter of bloodkin. I know that a couple podcasts ago, you guys focused on bloodkin. The fact that Danny Hutchins is on stage right now is a miracle and we should all get out there and buy his music and see him perform live because not only does he need our money he's actually performing pretty damn well (laughs) like it's it's a thing man this is a guy who you know is basically godfather of the music that we all enjoy and he's still performing right here in front of us and um you know it's worthwhile so you know, tell tell your wives, or your girlfriends, or, or your husbands, or your boyfriends that you know take me out and let's go have a good time and see Danny Hutchin perform some of our favorite songs. I, I think Danny, you know, I don't, I don't know if we we've spelled it out this succinctly, but I think Danny definitely belongs on the uh, the Mount Rushmore of of Panic influences with you know the colonel and vic and jerry joseph i mean like those are the four guys that that make up the the biggest influences of you know contemporary influences that the, that the band had yeah i mean it's it's crazy that you know it's like todd and jerry joseph and danny hutchins in the same band again. Mm-hmm. that 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 in and of itself is crazy and then you got like john neff yeah. right who who played in um you know uh, barbecue uh, and also played with Hauser a few you know a bunch of times it, it's there's just something happening there that we all should like um, uh, support and make sure that we're not taking for granted because it might not be there forever and and they're you know the namesake of Jeff's favorite panic song ever don't tell the band mm. you know they were selling this awesome piece of merch <laughs> Jeff you got to get this piece of merch if they come through uh, your your town. It mm-hmm. is a cap ball cap that's like a captain's hat, you know, with the the scrambled <laughs> eggs on the brim, and it says <laughs> Interstellar Boys on it. That's it's fucking nice. brilliant. <laughs> um, all right, well, um, let's. We got one more thing. Yeah, we don't want to keep everybody. Uh, I've definitely enjoyed spending time with you this last weekend, this week. Um, but uh, maybe time to. I think we've got a good a good selection to sort of put a bow on it. And um, I I really I I don't have much to say about this. I mean, I was aware of this band's existence, but until you kind of brought it up, uh, I had never actually listened to them or. You know, really known anything about it, so I, I, I thank you for your, uh, your introduction into uh, acetate. Absolutely, we were just talking about you know uh, uh, supergroup um, in Interstellar Boys. This, in some ways, was the original supergroup, um, or well, one of them. There, there was other other pairings and, and other groupings of, of musicians from the Athens area um, around Panic, but this one in particular, I, I really enjoy. I think they're. They're underrated. They really, I think they only had one LP. One LP. Mm-hmm. Um, Acetate is is a group that Dave Schools, Ben Mize, and Kevin Sweeney um, formed out of Athens. If you're not familiar, Ben Mize 
is a drummer. Uh, he played with Counting Crows, Frank Black, Jars of Clay. Kevin Sweeney maybe is a little more well-known in the Athens scene because he has been involved with a lot of different stuff. Um, he did, um, uh, I think, some production work on some Drive-By Truckers albums. I think he's performed with Dinosaur Jr. on and off. Um, he's supported Stockholm Syndrome when they were around and Slang when they were around. Um, he's probably best known for his, his role in Hayride um, and the, uh, the band Sunshine Fix. Um, I chose this selection. This, this is, the name of the song is Money's Clean um, because for me, it, it, it's really atypical of something you might expect someone like uh, Dave Schools to be a part of, and yet it's a really good example of where his influences lie. Um, this, I would categorize this band as doing a lot of power pop. Um, you, you'll hear some big star in here. Uh, if you're familiar with Chris Bell, uh, there's, there's a lot of influence, I think, from him. Um, I'm reminded of Government Mule sometimes, uh, particularly this song. Um, there's some Government Mule vibe happening there. Also reminded of this band Gomez. I think, you know, there's, oh, there's yeah. a real power pop vibe to um, how Gomez uh, approaches their music. Plus, Dave sings background vocals. Uh, on this and it's really interesting to hear his his high voice kind of mixed in with these other low voices it's a it's a good compliment um i just thought it was a really interesting um uh composition and i find acity to be kind of underappreciated and felt it was a good opportunity to um have other other folks be exposed to uh the wondrous and power pop stylings of acetate supergroup from athens georgia
That was The Money's Clean by Acetate, their uh, lone album from 2005, This Band Makes Me Feel, and uh, Dave School's side project, one of several, all of which have their own little place in the world, all a little bit different, and all really quite enjoyable as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Um, you know, this, this particular group, I, I think helped Dave realize that he didn't have to, you know, just be doing, I don't know, something that was attached to, uh, the panic scene or, or the grateful. Was Dead this, was this like before that. or after slang? Um, this is after slang. Okay. Um, you know, I think slang, slang was, was a really interesting project because it was so, put together mm-hmm. and and produced i'd asked dave a few times about um, you know whether they would tour and he's like how would we ever tour <laughs> um it's all studio stuff yeah. right but i think they actually did perform once um there was there was some sort of thing that happened i want to, I want to say it was in atlanta or something like that gosh i'm not prepared for this part of it we'll, we'll have to do another new do another podcast and i can i can look look that up and and bring some other nuggets and gems back uh but this is cool i appreciate you introducing I, I like i said i never heard it uh jeff i don't want to speak for you i don't think had you had you been exposed to acetate before i hadn't but definitely going to check them out i mean you said the, you said the magic words of chris bell so immediately i mean i'm intrigued so yeah it's cool enjoy it. hopefully the folks uh at home uh will will look into it and um and hopefully we don't like go to jail for playing uh a studio released uh, track. Don't tell anybody. We uh, might we we might be the only people playing this right now. I mean, that's that's part of my thing. Is I feel like you know they're so underappreciated that if anyone's paying attention, you get in trouble for it. We might as well make a stink about that so that other people. What? Why are they getting in trouble for acetate? Go check that out. Um. All right, man. Well, um, Ted. Anything else? I appreciate you. You know taking the time to, 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 to take the journey with us the last couple of weeks. Thank you so much for the invitation. I, I, you know, this is early on, you know, Harvey, you reached out to me. We, we worked on the, uh, the, that hard drive project to make sure that there was, you know, as much of the music out there on a single hard drive as possible. Mm-hmm. And you reached out to me as you were starting this podcast, partly to just make sure that I was cool with it. And, I love you for that. Um, <laughs> you didn't need to ask well, for any I mean, permission. But, you know, you you had blazed the trail with the podcast. And, you know, it, it sort of was out there. And, I, you know, I certainly didn't want to step on your toes or, you know, if that was something you wanted to go back to. But uh, I'm glad that you were, uh, you were willing and, and uh, that you, you know, came be a part of this one. I really appreciate the gesture. And, and I, I, I feel honored to have been able to to join you. I, this is This is my my place right here is talking, talking to people who appreciate music and in particular widespread panic music. So thanks a lot. I, you guys are, you're great. Keep, keep up the good work and, and hopefully sometime I can come back and share a little bit more with you. Uh, I think we'll, that's a, that's a date. We'll make that happen. So, um, Ted Rockwell, um, anything, do you, anything you want to plug? I mean, uh, I mean, obviously everybody knows about everyday companion.com, um, mm-hmm. your, your son's band, anything. I mean, would you, you have anything, <laughs> your, twi- your, your Twitter feed. I mean, what, what, you got anything you want? Not, not, you know, I'm working on a bunch of different things. My son just went to college and so I'm looking, uh, to possibly have my fourth act, right. I'm, yeah. 
I'm trying to figure out what I might do next. Um, I actually acted in a few commercials recently. I did one for Chili's a couple of weeks ago and uh, one you were, for Lucky's You were in Market. Lucky's. That was, yes, I forgot about that. That was, oh my mm-hmm. God, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And I've also been developing an idea around doing a kind of regular video, um, kind of vlog kind of cast uh, about um, live, the live music scene on the front range here. Um, I haven't, I don't have anything to plug yet, um, but we'll see. I, I may be, I may be reaching out to the bandit community to help me uh, support something like that. Cause um, I think, I think live music is one of those things that is a, is a part of the, the primal urge to be human and is an important aspect to belonging to a larger community and something that helps us uh, realize the promise of, of living on this planet. And so um, I, I'd like to share that love and, and passion uh, with others and, and we'll see, hopefully I can, I can pull that off and, and, uh, and, and maybe something will come of it. Well, we'll be there watching and listening as it does. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Um, thanks again for joining us. Thanks to uh, all the folks out there for listening. Um, continue to uh, subscribe, rate, tell your friends about it, tell your enemies about it. We're not picky. Um, visit us on our website, bluestape.com. Follow us on Twitter, uh, bluestape, and uh, we're on Facebook as well. And um, Ted Rockwell. Jeff Kolath, appreciate uh, you guys spending some time with with me. And uh, we will talk to everybody next week. Chris Bell's, the the house Chris Bell grew up in is just down the block from where I live. Oh, no way. Yeah. His his dad owned a bunch of restaurants here in Memphis. The most famous one was the Knickerbocker, and my neighbor is a Memphis music collector uh, guy, and he knows everything. But, But the house was for sale this summer. So he had read somewhere about what was in the house. So well, they were doing an open house. He walked over there and went in and looked, and he was all excited because there was fixtures from the Knickerbocker restaurant in Chris Bell's old house where he used to play like garage rock band or garage rock shows for people in the neighborhood back when he was like 15 or 16. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. By the way, Ted, actually, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Go, uh, Dave, I ended up being able to go record shopping with Dave on my birthday a few years ago. And um, we were out at the record store and he pulled out this, you know, I am the Cosmos album by Chris Bell, which Uh I'd heard of Chris Bell, but I was unfamiliar with that album. And he um, insisted I buy it. And um, that's, you know, again, it it really, I I had no comprehension of who, you know, that, that Dave might but here we were, you know, like I put this thing on and I'm like, Jesus, see, this is freaking solid music, but no one would ever, you know, 
bass player in jam rock band widespread panic into power <laughs> pop you know like you, you wouldn't necessarily pick that out of a lineup you know it makes uh yeah i mean i think we we always talk about in memphis i mean i'd say we i've been here two years but we always talk about there is no genre in memphis music memphis music is the genre itself mm-hmm. um, because everybody played with everybody um and everybody knew everybody and you know it's just the the amount of overlap between what Chris and Alex were doing with Big Star and how that overlapped with like the Stax crew and some of those other stuff is pretty cool. And you know, it's they're all taking in influence from each other. And then Chris was part of this whole avant, kind of the friend, the fringes of like this avant garde. I mean, they're all rich kids for the mm-hmm. most part that 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 noodled around on guitars and wrote really great pop songs. But they are on the fringes of sort of this avant garde arts thing here in Memphis too. That's a kind of a fun part of the story. Yeah, I, I I'm really interested to see where 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 Dave goes as as he continues to mature. He's he's really branched out into producing a lot of bands, uh, and I get a real sense that you know he 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 really enjoys doing indie rock, um, helping make it happen, helping you know upcoming folks make their music, and um, we'll see. Ho- hopefully. I, I have a feeling we, we've got a lot more to come from, from him, both musically, but then also from who he's supporting and, and who he's helping produce. Um, and by the way, Ted, I don't know if you know, it. Jeff won't, won't ever say this, but he has the coo- coo- <laughs> coolest job of anybody that I know because he's the executive director at the Stax Museum. So, Oh, get the fuck out. <laughs> That's awesome. Seriously. Wow. I'm going to have to get to Memphis that's fant- please do. are we still recording the podcast right now because <laughs> podcast folks you gotta get like down to the stacks museum look up jeff Kalach. <laughs> that, that's a real thing damn yeah. so how do you yeah. what what's your background do you are you in like museum curation or yeah. what's the deal yeah i'm a museums guy they kept call i kept i kept t- telling them stuff and they kept calling me back and you know ended up coming down here for an interview and you know i think i did all right in the interview but i think i scared them more than anything because they're like who is this guy that knows all this stuff (laughs) why is i feel like we have to hire him otherwise there will be something bad will happen so no it's been it's been pretty cool we just it's sort of a surreal surreal experience every day the people that you know we obviously we got tourists from all the world that come in and get to got a really great record collection at work and get to meet and talk to interesting folks and you know get to ask all the nerdy questions that you've always wanted to know about random random stuff that happened 50 years ago so it's, it's a pretty good gig yeah it, stacks is still um putting out has an output right or is that how does that work so concord music owns stacks right now so mm-hmm. they've got they've got a handful of bands um Nathaniel Rateliff is their big artist mm-hmm. right now, yep. and then they've He's got a really, Denver. yeah, and they've got a really great band um, that's from Memphis, the first Memphis band on stacks since 1975 called Southern Avenue, mm-hmm. which is uh, two sisters from South Memphis, and then a guitar player from Israel who moved to Memphis, and then a keyboard player from our music academy um, that are touring around, and they're they're great, they're fit, they're they're the real deal, and they're great kids and then they own the back catalog from 1968 to 1975 so they just they they put out all kinds of stuff so they just put out a really great isaac hayes set on friday and 
they've got some other cool stuff coming up. So they do mostly back catalog, but they're trying to break some new artists too. That's fantastic. I had no idea. And that's, yeah, Stax is one of those, you know, it, Capricorn Records, Stax. I mean, you, you think about some of these these places, there's there's definitely intersections. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of blown away. A little bit clumped at the moment, I must say. <laughs> I should have um, given you that heads up earlier. Um, but <laughs> when, when Panic was in town last year, they played in June, and somebody had either – I couldn't figure out if somebody from the band had actually – gone to the show gone gone come to the museum and then bought something because it was a piece of our merch but it was either somebody from the band had come and bought the merch and then took a picture of it and posted it on their instagram and that or it was in the at the venue at mud island one of the two but i thought that was cool so next time they come to town to make sure that they can uh, invite them for a tour <laughs> yeah i mean you know the the guy i mean all of them i'm sure would be interested schools in particular i think would yeah. have a lot to say there and he's friends with um i don't know um he's good he's friends with one of my great friends from growing up uh mark spusta does the concert posters oh sure yeah mm-hmm. yeah i've known mark for 30 whatever years so um yeah he talks to dave a lot he talk mark's good friends with dave and he's good friends with chris robinson and they talk about the records that they buy so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're 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 all nerds, man. About the the records, it's pretty pretty awesome. I I've been I got bit by the bug a while back, and I've got a crazy weird collection now. Um, and a lot of it was influenced by you know, um, uh, you know, talking to to Dave, but then also just talking to other musicians about what they're into and like what they're mm-hmm. what they're listening to. You spoke of an Israeli guitarist there. Um, have you heard of this guy Yonatan Gott out of Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. He's Israeli, and he I think he spends like part of the year in Israel and then part of the year in Brooklyn and then part of the year maybe in L.A. He is this crazy psychedelic guitar player who, everything that I've seen, I've never gotten, gotten to see him live. I'd love to see him live. He sets up, it's a three-piece band usually, him and a bass player and a uh, drummer, and they set up in front of the stage in like the, facing each other. And then use like regular floor lamps and big lights to kind of light themselves from below. And then everyone's allowed or kind of a welcome to just kind of gather around them as they're playing. And it's fantastic music. His, his LPs are, are really good, but his live show I think is what he's really known for. Um, nice. that, that guy's pretty cool. We tried to do that. Uh, we had a show Thursday night and it, there's a Booker T and the MGs tribute band here in town that are four of the best musicians in the city and they covered the uh macklemore avenue album from start to finish and so they we set up this our, our, our concert space a little differently than what we usually did and basically we put we put they wanted to play sort not in the round but had wanted to have people sort of sit amongst them so we put down rugs in between the band that were sort of in like a U shape. So there was a bunch of people, mostly families that sat on the rugs in front of this, in, 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 amongst a Booker T and the MGs tribute band. Um, <laughs> well, we did like psychedelic lights on the wall. So it was pretty cool. Right on. <laughs> living, living inside. We, 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 we pitched it to the people as you can live inside the music tonight at the Stacks Museum. Well, I love living inside the music. As I was telling Harvey, um, as I was putting this together, 
I, I put together this, this list in about an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> it, it didn't take very long. And my wife got home from work and she's like, I started playing it for her. And she's like, how in the hell do you know this? Right. And my, my answer just kind of came out of my mouth was, you know, I just open up the hard drive and I start sorting through these shows and it's like reintroducing myself to a bunch of old friends. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I speaking of living inside the music, I really, you know, I'm, I'm inside this music. There's no separating the two. 